Hi guys, here we are today with Vivek Ramaswamy, partner at Madrona. Um, Vivek, great to have you here. How are you? I'm doing well, Lawrence. Thank you so much for having me. Well, look, looking forward to looking forward to having this discussion with you, as I'm sure our community are. Um, obviously, it's a very interesting time, particularly um, in the VC world. Um, you know, a lot of the people I'm speaking with at the moment, they're not just looking to raise capital they're actually looking to become VCs themselves and to actually get involved in this space. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted to just start, really just kick off by getting an idea of, of who you are, what your background is, and really how you've ended up at Madrona. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just going back a little bit, I'm, I'm from Canada originally, uh, grew up in, in Edmonton, Alberta, which is a very uh, cold northern uh, city. Not a lot of tech, but, but you know, a great, great place to grow up. Um, and I went to university uh, near Toronto in, at the University of Western Ontario to study business, uh, to study finance. And so that was sort of my initial interest. And, you know, along the way um, at university, I was uh, interested in tech and, and wanted to get some exposure to it. So um, when I got a summer internship offered to do investment banking uh, in my summer after my junior year, uh, it was at Goldman Sachs. And I wanted to uh, I had a choice between being in the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, New York or San Francisco. And, and uh, you know, I decided on San Francisco um, because I wanted to sort of be closer to that tech community. Uh, and this was the summer of 2012 when I came out to SF and um, did my internship here. And it was a really, really cool time to be in San Francisco and in sort of the Valley. Uh, Facebook had just gone public and, um, you know, Dropbox was really popular and, and, and Twitter was getting a lot of steam. And it was just kind of a really interesting time to be in and around this community. Um, so, you know, when I finished in uh, school and I graduated in 2013, I came back to Goldman full time um, and I ended up spending just under two years there as an analyst. Um, but, you know, even when I was sort of early days at Goldman investment banking, um, you know, I was starting to think about what I want to do next and as a lot of analysts do. And um, while a lot of my peers were sort of, you know, really going to that, uh, either the hedge fund or the private equity route, I was really interested in the VC route, um, partly because I was just, you know, I didn't know anything about VC, um, but partly because I just had, um, you know, some of my friends and, and, and people who I was close with had joined, you know, the VC industry. And I had, you know, other friends and people who I knew around me who were starting companies. And so I was sort of interested in getting access to that early in growth stage investing, um, you know, from a VC lens. And uh, yeah, I ended up, um, you know, chatting with a friend of mine who was at Redpoint at the time. And uh, he's like, hey, why don't you come over and, and, and chat with the rest of the group here? Um, and ended up kind of speaking with everybody and and, and really uh, liked the team. And for whatever reason, they, they liked me and, and thought I'd be a good fit there. Um, so I joined Redpoint in, in uh, the summer of 2015. So about seven and a half years ago, that was my first um, sort of foray into the venture capital world. Um, and so Redpoint, for folks who don't know, is a, is a you know, very well-esteemed, um, uh, you know, blue chip area uh, fund that's been around since about 1999. Um, there was two funds, an early stage fund and a growth fund. I was part of the growth fund and the growth team, which was really focused on companies at that series B and beyond stages. So companies that were generally post-program market fit, um, were generating some real revenue. And, and you know, we were writing um, sort of series B, series C, series D checks into those, into those companies. Um, and it was terrific. I, I spent about five and a half years there. 
Um, you know, learned a ton, worked with some amazing companies that Redpoint had invested in like Sentinel One and Snowflake and HashiCorp and um, some other great businesses. My my focus was really in the enterprise software space, you know, kind of anything across B2B software. Um, and then at the end of 2020, I had an opportunity to join a large hedge fund called Steadfast uh, to help um, open up their, their, their sort of their venture arm, their venture practice. A lot of hedge funds were getting into the VC space. Um, and so, you know, this was an interesting opportunity for me to kind of join along with my uh, partner now at Madrona, Karan Mahendru, and to sort of uh, build a VC presence. And um, we spent about a year and a half there uh, investing in a number of mid to large stage companies, again, mostly across software, um, some companies like uh, Zapier, Outreach, Lucid Software, um, Algolia, you know, kind of everything up and down the stack. Um, and it was a really interesting experience, but I think ultimately what we decided um, in the summer of this year was we wanted to go back to a sort of a true VC platform um, because that's that's really where we found that the best fit for the kind of companies that we want to invest in. And, you know, that's basically how I ended up back at uh, Madrona, um, or I should say I ended up at Madrona um, and where I officially started last month as a partner. So I'll stop there. There's kind of a, that's a full no, journey. That's, no, yeah. it, no, it's... You know, I speak to so many people and they kind of, I feel they kind of like romanticize the VC world, but it does look fun, right? You, I guess you can kind of jump between sectors. You get to see behind the scenes on some of the coolest companies. Um, Yourself, I mean, do you have any particular sectors or passions or, or areas rather within the VC world that you just love to invest in? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And and uh, I can comment on your point about the, 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 the there's the fun parts and then there's the grinding parts and like, you know, like, like many jobs, there's, there's both. Um, but, but yeah, so my, my area of focus is, is historically and, and currently is in software and that's um, both at the application layer, layer down to the developer layer and, um, and infrastructure as well. So think of it broadly as B2B SaaS apps to cloud infrastructure, cloud security, developer tools, data tools. And at at uh, Madrona, we spend a lot of time in, in sort of the AI ML space, what we're calling the future of intelligent apps. And so software broadly is really where I spend the most of my, my time. I've spent some time in fintech as well, um, invested in a, in a company called WorldSimple uh, when I was at Steadfast, invested in Nubank when we were at uh, Redpoint. Um, but I'd say like the the core of where I spend the most amount of my time and, you know, really what excites me is what's happening up and down the stack in software. And in terms of that, like, do you have a preference in terms of where these companies are at? Is it the early stage companies that are more exciting to get involved with? Or is it the more series A, series B when you think actually these guys could go all the way? Yeah, it's really more the series A and B. I think it's interesting because you know, I think the world was split between early stage and growth. And then, you know, in the last two years, all of these letters sort of got combobulated and, and you know, an A versus a B versus a C versus a C. I mean, you see series A. companies at the C yeah, and then you see late stage companies at the A. So I think the letters are a little, you know, they're, they're less meaningful at this point, but really where, where, you know, my, my focus has been and where I spend the most amount of my time and, and, you know, where I think that, um, you know, I can tend to be the most helpful uh, is really where that company has hit some level of product market fit. And they're starting to generate some revenue, whether that's one, two, three million of revenue up to 10, 20 million of revenue. 
Um, those are the companies that that you know I um, tend to work with the most and invest in. And so Madrona does a lot of seed investments too. And there's Madrona Venture Labs, which also incubates companies. Um, there's other folks on the team that are definitely better suited for that. But where I spend the most of my time is at that Series A, Series B, Series C stage. Well, I've got to say, I get to speak to a lot of uh, VCs, private equity firms. Um, you guys are well known and you're also like very well respected. Um, I guess that comes down to your vision, your values. What is it? And look, let's let's be let's call it what it is. It's a very competitive industry. Um, there's a lot of unfriendly competition as well. You guys seem to have positioned yourself in such a way that you've definitely earned the respect of your peers of the other companies in the industry um, and of the founders, right? So I can only imagine how many companies when they're when they're looking for investment, you know, you're at the top of their list or certainly very near the top. So in terms of like your vision, in terms of values, what is it that you're doing and what is it that you're communicating to earn that that trust and that respect in the industry? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and you know, I I it's funny because I've I've only been sitting in the seat at Madrona for you know about a month now, so you know, absolutely none of this credit goes towards me, uh, but but all the credit to the team and 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 you know the founders of Madrona and and what they've built. So I I feel very lucky to have you know been able to join them and 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 you know help them build towards the future. But um, you know, I think. A lot of the, it's an interesting question because I I spent some time thinking about this and and doing my diligence uh, when I was about to join Madrona and I think the thing that a lot of folks come back to is Madrona has built this incredible reputation among both their peers and their founders uh, and the founders in the community over the last twenty five plus years and I think a lot of that is based on you know Madrona has historically been in Seattle and has done an incredible job of building the Seattle tech community, not just for the founders that they've backed and that they've invested in, but the tech community as a whole. And so, you know, when, when Madrona was founded in 95, um, the first investment that they made and that Tom Alberg, one of the founders made was in Amazon, right? And so you think about how much Amazon has grown that community, not just in Seattle, but worldwide. And Tom was on the board for a number of years um, and he he passed away recently, but but was sort of a stalwart of building this Seattle community. And I think through that, Madrona has really built this foundation of being a, a you know an incredible group of people that are helping founders, helping operators, helping the tech community, and helping the Seattle and Pacific Northwest community just grow and prosper in a way that I think few other funds have done before. Um, and I think what that's done is as the Seattle tech community has grown. Those companies and those founders are often raising from Silicon Valley VCs as well. And so I think what Silicon Valley VCs look at is saying, hey, wow, Madrona is on the cap table of so many of these amazing companies and they're on the board of so many of these amazing companies. You know, what, what are they doing right too? And so that, I think in the sort of very organic way where Madrona is not out there, you know, uh, historically has not been, you know, too forward in saying like, we're the best, we're the best. It's not the persona of the folks here at all. It's just through helping actually investing and build these businesses and work with these founders on the boards very you know rolling up their hand rolling up their sleeves and really getting into the work doing that building in a very quiet way in a way that you know i think they've done with very high integrity over the last 25 plus years has helped build that reputation so um you know i i think i'm very lucky to have joined at this time where um you know of course it is a very competitive industry and we all have to write you know the blog posts and, and write the content and do all these kinds of things but at the end of the day what really matters and what moves the needles is 
how well you do by the founders that you work with and being close with, you know, the LPs and having the LP relationships that like a fund like Madrona has, where they've been able to de deliver, you know, very consistent, very good returns over the last 25 plus years. So both of those things, I think, is what's helped grow that brand and, and, and you know, hopefully put us in um, the list that every founder wants to work with. No, I mean, definitely, right? Definitely. I, I, I think you're, you're certainly up there. Um, I mean, I kind of feel you've touched on this quite a bit anyway, but in terms of like the culture, what's it like there? Because, you know, again, it's still a very competitive environment. I'm sure there's some incredibly intelligent people um, uh, walking through those hallways and in your offices. You know, what are your expectations from the team and what's the culture actually like? Is it as competitive inside as it as it appears from the outside or you know what's it actually like on a day-to-day -day basis sure and and it's you know I, i've got an interesting lens because i spent you know some time at an investment bank um i spent some time at another vc fund a silicon valley sort of you know pure vc fund a hedge fund for a little bit and then um in venture and you know every place is different and every place has its own culture and it's going to work for different places when i was at goldman we were working a lot of hours and it was it was pretty crazy because, but uh, yeah, yeah goldman has done incredible work for their clients in what they do i think the thing that with venture is what i'm what i love and what is incredible about this job is you're learning all the time you know the job is to learn right so i get the incredible opportunity to just talk with amazing founders every day you know 5 days a week 6 days a week for for the whole year right so you know we're listening to pitches we're listening to founders as they think about new ideas we're listening to founders as they scale new ideas and I think just from a VC perspective, we're sitting there and learning, we're absorbing, and we're trying to figure out, okay, what are the companies that we want to back? What are the founders that we want to back? Where do we think that we're going to make a real financial return? But part of that also means you have to be staying on top of the latest trends and the latest technology. And what's the latest open source project that we got to be looking at? What And so- that what that means is you're constantly learning, but there is a there is a hustle attitude that you have to have. And I think what I found with the culture, certainly here at Madrona and that I've seen in other places, that the venture funds that do really, really well are the ones that are never resting on their laurels. Just because you've had great returns over the last 25 years doesn't guarantee anything for the next one, two, three years. You always have to be hunting for the next great company and the next great founder and the next great return. No fund is able to rest on the laurels. And I think Sequoia is a great example of this, that they're the gold standard for VCs over the last 40 years. And you will hear you know, some of their GPs talk about the internal culture and they're always hunting for the next thing. And so I think a big part of VC is you've got this, you know, everybody, every investor, and you know, every person at the fund has to be always curious and always thinking about new technologies and learning and, and trying to absorb as much as they can so they can relay that onto the team and to the founders that they work with. And at the same time, hustling to find the next great company and to look at that next, you know, project that they should be looking at. And so both of those things in tandem is what creates a really good culture. And I think the other thing is what I find that, that Madrona certainly does, and I think with firms and funds that have amazing cultures is there's a trust 
right? There's a, there's a, there's a group of investors and a group of people here. It's not a very big, VCs aren't big places. Maybe Andreessen is the biggest by, in terms of employees, but generally it's not a very big company, right? It's max 50 people, often, you know, 10, 20 investors and, you know, maybe another 20 people who are doing portfolio operations and things like that. Um, and so having a trust with each other and trusting your partners that, that they're going to do right by their founders and that they're going to help you when you need help is, is an incredible part of what the culture is here. And so I think, you know, I don't know if that, that sort of fully answers the question, but no, I think no, it, the curiosity, it, trust, and yeah, those relationships. Yeah, no, I, I think completely does, you know, and, and I, I think that, you know, like you say, you're always looking out for the next, uh, the next great founder. I'm sure you get said, not you personally, but maybe actually thousands and thousands of pitch decks and uh, you, know, you get insight into companies. Um, I've got to say, you know, for me, I'm, I'm also fortunate that I get to like interview and meet a lot of other like really cool founders. Um, there's definitely correlation between the hours that the founders put in and, and how successful they are. Um, I think I'm looking extra pale today. I think I've probably worked 18, 19 hours a day for like the last four or five days, right? It's part of it. It's not sympathy. It's not feeling, I'm not saying it to make myself sound good. It's just a fact of building a company. So, I mean... In terms of that, does that is that does that translate at Series A, Series B, when people are still raising capital? You're still seeing their the founders work these crazy hours and these like you know to these demanding deadlines, or does it does it when does it ease off, or if ever? I think I think it's so dependent on the founder and the company and the and the, and the sector. I think what does happen it's it's i i've seen it sort of in, in in two ways right what does happen when you graduate from a pre seed to a seed to an a to a b is you get more certainty that your company is going to exist right and so when you've converted from that seed to an a now you have a b and a bigger team and the product's working the thing that a lot of the founders or many founders, one of the risks that they can sort of put to the back burner at least is, hey, at least my company is around and we have funding. We're going to be around for the next two years, right? If we can give ourselves enough runway, we're going to be here for some time versus a seed company is just, are we going to exist, right? So you have this sort of existential threat that is, if not fully removed, is at least diminished a little bit. But then you have a new set of, you know, of, 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 of risks and, and things that you need to mitigate, which is how do I scale this company? I'm responsible to the employees that I just recruited and brought on and the executives that I recruited and brought on and sold my dream to, right? And so your, your, your sort of worries go from existential to how do I scale? And I think at every layer, there are going to be a different set of risks and worries that you need to think about and mitigate. And Jeff Bezos, and, and you know, he'll talk about in, in interviews that he's still up at night and still working, you know, uh, you know, in his last year or two at, as, as CEO, he's still working a lot of hours, but it's because they love it, right? And it's because the passion is there and they view it as an, as a challenge. Um, and I, I, I see this even with some of my partners now who I've been doing this for a very long time and are still just ex as excited to get up every day and meet interesting founders and meet interesting companies. And, you know, it's obviously I'm never going to compare what a founder does with what a VC does. But I think for everybody, if you, you know, you yourself, Lawrence, like if you have that, just that challenge that you want to work up with every day, it's a different style of challenges, but you're just as excited to go and, you know, and overcome those obstacles. Passion is passion, right? Passion is passion, whether it's at seed stage or series A, B, C. I love it. 
I love what we do. Like I, I love the team, you know, and we have probably had it harder than most. We, we've had a mad, mad like journey. Um, mm -hmm. But again, I think that what's interesting is that you build up this like resilience. So we had like a bit of a crisis this week. In fact, anyone else would consider it a major crisis. And I turned around to Jan, my co-founder, and I was like, how are you feeling about this? And he was like, just used to it now. Just carry on forward. That was it. There was no discussion yes. about it. There was no nothing. Um, I was like, okay, give me a week. You know, I'll just, I'll just smash through the work and I'll, I'll get us caught up. So, and that's largely it. We just kind of just take it on the chin, move on. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that's resilience, right? That's the resilience and that's the grit. And I, you know, I, there's this, all these Twitter debates of how many hours you need to work. And that's sort of like, I think it's kind of trite at this point to, to put a number on it, but you know, what we tell all of our founders too is yes. And they know this, they don't need us to tell them that, but they know it's a hard journey and they know it's, it's going to have a lot of challenges, but they need to make sure that they're mentally, you know, fit and that they don't suffer from mental health as well. Uh, you know, and, and, and have some, um, uh, you know, like whenever it comes down to it and you work a 10 hours, you can't burn yourself out. Right. And so I think being able to balance with whatever it is you have in life to some degree, it's never going to be perfect. It's not, not going to be like a normal nine to five, but because this is your life and it'll consume your life. But um, the folks that I've seen who've done really well have found a way to balance it with, you know, family, with um, friends, with something that they have going on in their personal life. And I think that's really important too. Yes, we haven't done that. Probably wrongly so, right? I, and I can see cracks with a few things, but, you know, mm -hmm. we, we work like seven days a week. That's it. And it's kind of, you know, we talk to each other 24-7. There's no, like, resentment or complaints. There's no fighting. It's just, we've just picked this path and we're sticking on it. But, yeah, I certainly do feel that actually the companies I see that are really, like, making headway and really innovating, I think there's a direct correlation with the number of hours that they put in. But I mean, in, term, in terms of like innovation, at some point you're a VC, you're out there, you want to get the return on your investment. At what yeah. point do you know when this you're onto a winner? At what point do you say, this is a good company that we've backed and this is now going to make us the profits we, we're looking for? Sure. Yeah. So I would say generally from a growth perspective, the way that uh, a lot of growth funds tend to look at the kind of returns that they want, and I'm talking more early growth as opposed to late stage, you know, pre-IPO growth that maybe some the soft banks of the world are playing in, but in that sort of BCD, um, you generally want to think about things as like, can I get a three to five X on this company? And then is there a tail or a possibility where there's a five to 10 X plus potential, right? As opposed to an early stage you know, investor that's generally looking at everything and saying, can I get a 10X plus, uh, you know, uh, return? So your return thresholds are just a little bit different in how you frame that opportunity. I would say that, you know, when, when things are really working and when you see the momentum happening, especially for software companies, when they're at that, you know, they break out of that two, three, four, five million of ARR, and then suddenly they're tripling and doubling and things are scaling and they're bringing on uh, amazing executives and people want to come over and work there. And you can really feel that they're starting to take market share away from the incumbents or creating new market share. And they're hitting that escape velocity. You can start to tell when that's happening, right? And with, and of course, like nothing is certain until it's certain. But once those companies break out and they're hitting 50, 
suddenly they're at 100 million of ARR and just scaling to another level. It's really amazing to watch. And I saw this, you know, with Sentinel One, for example, which at Redpoint, we invested in the company when they're less than 5 million of ARR. And now, you know, that's 400 million plus of, of, of ARR and, and continuing to grow and has 120% plus net retention. It took a while, right? It took a while for them to break out. They were, in fact, I think I remember when this was 2016, they were sort of the number three in the space in endpoint security. There was Silence, that was number one. And then, well, you know, and then they got bought and then there's CrowdStrike, which is another, you know, huge company, but it took a while, but the technology was there. They built the, the, the team. They spent the time really building the product and the platform such that customers love this thing. And then when it takes off, it's like exponential, right? And so, you know, I think people have seen this Figma graph of, uh, you know, the company was just like this for a long time where they're building, 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 then they turn monetization and they started to, you know, build out that sales and marketing engine and suddenly things just take off. So what's great about technology and especially the really exciting, you know, uh, software that we're seeing now is it may take a while to build, but then when you're scaling in three, four or five years, you're suddenly in that 100, 200, 300 million era, which is a very tough place to get to. But when you see it, um, you know, I think that's when you can really tell. And so there is that sort of inflection point where for us, we start to think about things and we're like, okay, that's the one, that's the winner. Let's, let's, you know, if we can put more that's fuel cool. in the fire, yeah. we can, yeah, yeah, if we can really push them and, and, and add more dollars, then let's go and do that. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I would say, so we've done everything ourselves. Um, we're pretty much like a hundred percent employee owned. And I kind of, it was interesting what you said about the annual run rate. So once we hit an annual run rate that I deem is going to allow us to negotiate from a position of strength, then like we, we think actually we're going to approach the VCs and they're going to be like, yeah, you guys have, you've done it the right way. Cause I want to have like, you know, we've got very low capital expenditure. I want to make sure we have positive cash flow. Um, in terms yeah. of that, like what would be your advice for not necessarily just founders, but also like CEOs who have, they're, they're not at startups anymore. They're now at series A, series B, C. And again, you know, a large part of our community, in fact, I think about 30%, no, we've got at least five and a half thousand companies that have all raised at minimum series A. Right. What what, what should they be doing? Like, what do you want to see for them to really make, get, get to that annual run rate and generate that revenue? Sure, sure. And I'd, I'd caveat all this with, with saying that when I, when I talk about that inflection point of growth, um, that's really based around like what, you know, the, when do we see this momentum taking off? Because it's a metric that you can really start to see that customers want this product, right? And that that there's a real need. Now, at the same time, what what the general advice you're hearing from every VC and certainly what we're, you know, what we're um, focusing on as well is, is, is profitable and sustainable growth, right? We are past the era, at least for now, of growth at all costs, which is just throwing dollars at a problem and, and, and seeing if you can, you know, burn $5 to add a dollar of revenue is not working anymore because that era of free or cheap money is, is largely past us. Um, and that's where in 2021, where we saw these multiples that were 50 X, 75 X, hundred X ARR, and it was just pushing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on a company to grow at all costs. That's not where we are. That's not what we're, recommending to our companies. That's not what we're looking for when we invest in new companies. Um, and so what I'd say is, you know, for those, those founders that have raised that A or the B, thinking about how do I scale in a durable way is what's going to be really important. 
because being a low growth company, like when, if you just say, we're not going to grow and we're just going to be around forever and not grow is actually not a sustainable strategy, right? Because you're, the incumbents are still growing. There are, then there are always going to be challengers coming after your space. And unless you have mindshare from customers, it's going to be really, really hard for you to even be around in five years. At the same time, on the other side, if you grow, if you just throw money at the problem and you're not growing in a durable way and you're just burning capital, that next round may not be available for you in the way that you might have thought a year ago or in the last two years. And so I think the 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 focus and the challenge, but also the opportunity for these companies is if you've raised some money and you're at the A or the B or the C and you've figured out product market fit, you're like, hey, customers want what we're selling. Then the next question is, how do I scale in a durable way, right? How many sales and marketing folks do I really need to have? Are there ways that I can grow through PLG? Are there ways that I can grow in a cash efficient way where I can continue to improve on my product? I can continue making it better. I can continue adding features. I can continue taking market share away without having to burn, you know, uh, with having a burn multiple that's that's egregious, right? And so I think thinking about that scalable growth and that durable growth is really what VCs want to look for when they invest in the next company, which is saying, okay, what do we think that the long-term free cash flow margins of this business are going to be? Or at least, you know, do they have strong gross margins? Are they able to burn and grow in an efficient way or reasonably efficient way? Those are the kinds of things that VCs are thinking about right now. Interesting. And good to know for the uh, companies on the RAM platform. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm sorry. Please, I was going to add one more. If I can add one more thing on that. Yeah, please. You know, I think it's a really interesting time for startups. And we say this to our portfolio companies too. And the reason I say that is there are massive sea changes happening in the technology landscape with regards to things you're seeing around, you know, generative AI, for example, or AI. And you can take, you know, whatever take you have on how hype, where in the hype cycle we are for generative AI or, or certain of these subsectors, there is very new and exciting technologies that startups can take advantage of in a way they couldn't three, four, five years ago. And this is happening at the same time that a lot of the big companies are doing major layoffs because they are beholden to what Wall Street is asking them to do. And you just saw Meta had a very unfortunate layoff where 13% of the staff got laid off today. I think this is a really interesting opportunity for startups that are coming from behind that can take advantage of these new technologies, be efficient with their dollars, but there's a lot of great talent that's going to be up for grabs. And if you can hire well, hire efficiently and hire right, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting startups that, you know, the next five to 10 years are going to look very different for big tech than what it does today. And so that's the part that we're all very excited about. I'm a drummer. Well, look, as am I, actually, I, I think um, in, term, in terms of that, I think I completely agree with you. I think also with the pandemic, it created this opportunity for startups to create great video content, market their companies and not have to throw like millions and millions of dollars um, uh, marketing budgets to begin with. But uh, Vivek, it's been fantastic having you with us today. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, partner at Madrona, Madrona. Great to have you. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Lawrence. That was fantastic. Really appreciate it. Good to see you.